Proverbs 21. Um, grab your Bible, turn there. Last time we were together two weeks ago, we ended at verse 9. Verse 9. Some of y'all got upset and I got in trouble. As y'all remember, verse 9 says, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house with a contentious woman. I always get guys laughing. They don't know what they're in for. Because we got to see this again. Look down at verse 19 where it says, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. This is the, so this is, makes three times Solomon has talked about this. And the reality is Solomon's the one with the issues. He had 700 of them <laughs> and 300 concubines. So, I mean, he created the issue, but we get to, we get to deal with it here this morning. So let's pick it up. We got to pick it up at verse 10. I'm going to read from verse 10 to verse 19, and then we'll dive in. So if you're with me, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 10, please say amen. Amen. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. When the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. The righteous, the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. A gift in secret pacifies anger and a bribe behind the back strong wrath. It is a joy for the just to do justly or to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. And again, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And so, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for again bringing us to the text that you've put before us, Lord God, as we know it's all breathed by you inspired by you, profitable for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to it, Lord God, that you would remove all of the things that would hinder and prevent us from hearing what you would say this morning, Lord God. I pray you would take this moment, this hour as your own to captivate our hearts and our minds, Lord, uh, removing the distractions, Lord, the cares of this life, even pushing the enemy back, setting a boundary for him, Lord God, and having your way with us this morning, that you would work in our hearts and transform our minds. Lord, taking us, leading us out of this place today different from the way that we came in. We need that from you. We surrender to that process now. In Jesus' name, say together, amen, amen. And so if you're just joining us uh, as we've been going through the book of Proverbs for a while, one thing that we found is that everything we need for life somehow is found in the book of Proverbs. It's dealing with everything, isn't it? And um, everything you can even imagine from finances to parenting to marriage to work-related stuff and just dealing with, with life in general is found on the pages of the book of Proverbs, and rightly so because it's written by the wisest man in the world. Only wise because God gave him that wisdom, Solomon. He's writing to his children desiring for them to get the knowledge they need to navigate the life that was before them, and yet it's for us today as we get to glean from it. And so with all of that in mind, we're going to dive in and see what we would find this morning starting in verse 10. Look at it with me. Verse 10 says, the soul 
of the wicked desires evil, his neighbor therefore finds no favor in his eyes. And it's a very interesting thing as we begin to look at that because the wicked, because his soul desires evil, his, his neighbors can't even find favor. There's nothing within him that will allow him to even care for or want to be a blessing even to his neighbors. And the interesting thing when you begin to think about neighbors, you remember how Jesus taught what a neighbor was in the Gospels when Jesus was talking about um, you know, loving your neighbor and one guy wanting to justify himself says, well, who is my neighbor? Y'all remember that question from the Gospels? Jesus began to tell a parable of uh, a man who fell amongst thieves and even a priest wouldn't help him, but a Samaritan did. Y'all remember that story? And he was teaching that your neighbor is anybody that you actually come across, not just the person that lives beside you wherever you live in your neighborhood, but whoever you come across. So the person you saw in the parking lot this morning, the person that greeted you at the door, the person sitting on both sides in front and back of you, the person in line with you at Walmart, according to the Lord Jesus, is your neighbor. The person you speak to at the gas station, according to Jesus, is your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is saying that, uh, especially for those of us who are believers, anyone that we interact with, listen, the presence of God in our lives should have an impact on them. And so that's what it boils down to. But, but the person who is wicked and evil to the core can't do that. And see, that's the crux of the verse. Look at it again. It says the soul of the wicked desires evil. And so as you begin to look at that, there's something deeper going on inside the human mind and the human heart even than what we can realize on the surface sometimes. Um, It kind of talks about the soul of a person. The soul is the innermost part of their being, the seat from which everything else flows is what this is talking about. And, And so this is completely evil, notice again, for the wicked person. And so therefore, even their desires from the very core of their being are evil. It's just like back in verse four, look back in verse four for a minute. Those of you who were here a few weeks ago, verse four says a haughty look, a proud heart. Remember, those are things that God hates and, a pl- and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Remember that word plowing speaks of the fact that anything that the wicked are even employed at doing is sinful because it's coming from a place of wickedness, even if it's perceived to be good on the outside. So literally everything from the very core is wicked. Now, he- Humanity struggles with this because, see, there's a, there is a, I should say, a modern psychological liberal view that all human beings are generally good and what makes them bad is their environment. But see, the Bible tends to say something totally different from that. On the screen, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, Jeremiah, led by the Holy Spirit, says this, the heart is deceitful above all things, and notice this, and desperately, what y'all? Wicked. Who can know it? And then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. In other words, God is saying everybody's wicked from the core, from the very beginning. This becomes an issue, and, and, and we, we find this contrast often when we do, like, baby dedications up here, and I get to hold it, you know, the cute little babies, and everybody just says, oh, those babies are so innocent. They're so, they're so wonderful. <laughs> well, you spend a night with them <laughs> and see if you get any sleep. No, because they're, they're, they're little sinners, aren't they? And we understand that. Babies are sinful to the core. They come out. The Bible says that we're, we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. So we start out messed up until we come to know the Lord. And this is the thing we need to understand. Remember Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God says this, Then the Lord saw 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, and so it was God who saw the condition of man's heart. But, but this implies even something greater. God has the ability to look into society and see the overwhelming condition of a people group, a nation, or the world at any given time. He has his finger on the pulse. He has a barometer, if you will, that tells him what percentage of wickedness is prevailing. Therefore, he can determine if there is any or what opportunity there is for him to reap a harvest out of society at any given time. Remember, that's why when he was talking to Abraham, he said that I'm going to give the Amorites 400 years. So you, your descendants, Abraham, are going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years because the sins of the Amorites have not come full grown yet, which means that being a merciful, long-suffering God, he gave them 400 years to repent of sin before he sent Joshua and the nation of Israel in there to conquer. So he can look at it. Remember when he was arguing uh, or discussing with Abraham the condition of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're, they're going back and forth about, and Abraham says, well, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? And God says, no, I won't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. Well, what if you find 15 righteous in Sodom? God already knowing he didn't have 15 righteous in Sodom. So he said, no, I won't, I won't do it. They went through that negotiation because God knew the condition of Sodom and Gomorrah and he removed the righteous and then he sent judgment. It's a pattern throughout the scripture. God has his finger on the moral pulse of humanity. And when the time comes, he's going to send judgment because wickedness is prevailing. And when you look at the world that we live in today, it's very clear wickedness is on even the rise in society today. And God has a plan to bring about judgment. And so when we look at this in verse 10 here, it says the soul of the wicked desires evil. In other words, the condition of a wicked person is rotten to the core. And this is, is almost alarming because it says that people have the ability to grow very cold, very wicked in their very souls. The Bible teaches earlier in the book of Proverbs for this very reason, I think it was in back in chapter four, that we are to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the conditions of life. So what the Bible is saying is that for even for us as believers, we have to guard our own hearts and be careful what we allow in because it has the ability to affect and even taint us, not alone people that don't know the Lord, but even us. So here's the reality. Everything that we entertain, that what we think even, our thought life, what we allow in, has an overwhelming effect on who we are, how we act, how we respond, uh, and, and, and really on, on our whole being. And I do believe that this is why even some believers are almost rendered, if you will, uh, unfruitful. Not that they lose their salvation, but we can become very unfruitful when we allow ourselves to be uh, inundated with the things of, and the filth of this current world. That's why John said, love not the world because the, or the things of the world because it's passing away. Um, in fact, there's a verse that alludes, I'll give you a glimpse. Go ahead to chapter 23 really quick. Look at verse 7, um, talking about the miser. But there's a verse here that alludes to this. It says, for chapter 23, verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So, you know, what we're viewing, what we're, what we're entertaining, and even our thought life has the ability to have an impact on our very heart, our very being, our very soul. 
Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. There's, there are things that we're storing on the inside that have an impact on what we do and how we act and what we say and, and things of this sort. And this is why, listen, I'm just camping for a moment. This is why Paul warns us that we have to actually do battle as it relates to those areas of our life. It was in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul begins to tell us, you probably know these verses, you can write it in your notes or your margin if you don't, but 2 Corinthians 10, he says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning that they are not fleshly things. It's not that we're going to fight in the flesh. He says, but they are mighty in God to pulling down strongholds and casting down, he says, arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So one translation says arguments, imaginations, thoughts, all of these various things that are being developed on the inside, influenced by the very world we live in. So he says that we have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, we punish the disobedience when we obey. Isn't that an interesting way he phrased that? So then as I submit to God and I bring thoughts unto the captivity of Christ, in other words, the way I battle is I have to bring my very thoughts subject to Jesus. You don't get to run wild thought. You got to be submitted to Christ right now, whatever's going on. So there's a, and and the the crazy thing, y'all, is it speaks to the responsibility that we have. Imagine Paul is talking to the Corinthians in that verse I just referenced, the most wicked, I hate to say it that way, the most carnal church in the New Testament. Let's put it that way. (laughs) They had issues, right? Y'all know the book of Corinthians. They had issues. So he's talking to those who were surrounded by wickedness and had issues, carnality to themselves. And he's saying, you've got to wage war against that because you've got to guard your heart. You've got to protect your very soul. So we've got to do work. There's more going on than we realize through the entertainment, through the people we spend time with, through the conversations that we have, through what we're, what we're reading, what we're entertaining, uh, all the screens that are in our face constantly. It's having an impact on our very soul, what we're listening to. And so two things I'll mention before I get ready to move on. So if that's the case, you actually have to prepare because this is safe space. It's Sunday morning. We're together. We're encouraging each other. We're loving each other. We're building each other up. Amen? Amen. So right now we're good, even though it's sometimes a battle when you sit in here, thoughts coming in. Be honest. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, it, and that's leftover junk from the previous week. So you got this moment trying to get that straight, and then you got to look at the week ahead. So, so there's a battle, so you have to then prepare for the battle. Remember what Peter said. This should be a memory verse by now. 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and then rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. That's kind of a two-for-one verse because it gives us two things. One, well, we got to gird up the loins of our minds. What does that mean? It means to tighten things up. The, the metaphor for those in ancient times was when you look at shows like The Chosen. Some of y'all look at The Chosen. Some of you don't like The Chosen. I'm not here to debate that. I'm saying you've seen it. You see how the men dress, right? So in that time, in order for a man to, to run, to get into a sprint like we do at softball, on, um, even though I pulled my hamstring the other day, I came around second going to third, and I, I, I had flashbacks to my younger days. And it, it just, <laughs> but for them to run, they would have to pull up their garments and tie it. You know, they would have to get that 
that excess stuff out of the way so that they could actually run because of the way they dressed back then, okay? Um, for us, it may be if you're going to run, you're going to have to tighten up your shoes or don't wear free-flowing clothes. But that's really what he's getting at. In other words, you have to prepare by tightening up your, your, your thought process and your mind. So you have to engage in a battle. Don't just let your mind and your imagination run wild like it don't matter. Well, I mean, it's just in my head. I'm not actually doing anything. And ladies, y'all have more issues with this, I think, than men because a lot your minds, your imaginations run wild with you. That's the way you were created, but it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you can't bring it under control because you have the Spirit of God. The Bible actually says, 1 Corinthians 3, you actually have the mind of Christ. There's certain things that are spiritually understood. So we actually have a responsibility for what's running through here as believers. So he says, tighten it up. And then he says, you know, rest your hope on the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as one way we're tightening up our mind is that we're focusing on the things of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. Everybody okay? I know I'm kind of way off tangent here, but, um, and then the next one is, I told you I would give you two things here. The second one is we then have to work on developing a heavenly mindset, which flows from the other one. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not things on earth. So he literally is saying that we have to intentionally begin to be heavenly minded. I begin to think, rest our thoughts even on the things of the Lord. Now, I shared this with first service. I don't want to get too far away. One of the things I've been doing probably over the last three months, I used to listen to like teachings and stuff at night um, when I would sleep. But I, now I've actually, I listen to the Bible. And there's, a, there's actually a playlist on YouTube that I can give you. And it's, and it's the New King James, and I use that because I teach from it. It's New King James Bible being read and dramatized. Um, and, so, and all the books are broken out into a separate video. And they're longer. And it's no, it's no video. It's just a placeholder, but you're listening. So I put that on when I sleep. That's crazy. I don't even dream anymore. It's crazy. I'm just, the word, i just being washed in the middle of the night. I wake up thinking about verses that I hadn't even read. And I got to go find them and look at them again, you know, just because it's just something that actually is my way, if you will, of tightening things up and preparing for the next day. Does that make sense? Yes. yes it's just, well, I mean, you ain't doing nothing but sleeping anyway. You might as well be listening to the word <laughs> and use that time as well. So I use that and it's helping me um, to be able to strengthen my mind. Why? Because I want to guard my heart. I want to guard my soul and I want to have my thoughts clear because there's a battle happening and I need to be able to be prepared for it. And so the weapons that we have is just that, it's the word of God, it's our time of prayer, spending time with him that we can be strengthened uh, and not, if you will, in any way uh, sluggish because that's where I believe a lot of Christians that they are, sluggish. Wednesday night we had corporate prayer. It was beautiful, there was no sluggishness. We had two things we were praying for, and everybody prayed for those things as a congregation. It was tight because the early church, when you see them praying in the book of Acts, they're on one accord. I love that. There's no sluggishness. We able to focus in as a group. God is doing a new work at this church, by the way. And I, I, I'm saying we, we need to prepare ourselves. All right. So, so verse 10, the soul of the wicked desires evil. Their so, the soul is messed up. So therefore, the neighbors can't find any favor because the person is evil to the core. But in contrast, skip ahead to verse 15. Verse 15 says, it is a joy for the just to do justice. 
I love that. In contrast, the, the soul, the, the heart of the just person is different. Now, remember, the, ju- the person is just, meaning justified, if you will, or right before God because they are of God. Does that make sense? So they're just because from an Old Testament perspective, they're right with God. Well, from a New Testament spec- perspective, to be right with God is to be born of the Spirit to literally have God in you to be a born-again believer, okay? Everybody understand that? So then if the verse, look at it this way. It is joy for the believer to do justice. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in us, and that's the way he's leading us. And so when you are serving the Lord, when you're doing that which he created you to do, when you're doing what he called you to do, that's when you actually experience real joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit like like you ain't never believed. You know, it's kind of like this from a practical standpoint. When a new mother is holding her baby in her arms and looking at that child and, and, and her husband's, he's close by and they got this child that God just blessed them with. It's like, man, they, they just fill with joy. They just did something that they were created to do and it's amazing and nothing else really matters at that moment. That's a practical thing. Ladies, would you agree? Those of you who have children, okay, good. Or, or grandparents, same thing. It's just like, it's something with that. Well, likewise, when the, when the Spirit has gifted you to do something and you flow in it, He gives you something extra because you're doing what you're called to do. Okay, so I actually like teaching the Bible because for some reason He uses me that way. <laughs> and it's a, you know, it's probably the first time I smiled all day. <laughs> Be- because I'm enjoying what I'm doing because the Spirit uses me at, in that which He called me to do. And it could be anything else. I mean, you might, you might like bringing a meal to somebody who, who's hurting and, and you're filled up with joy because the spirit just used you that way. Okay. So what I'm saying is in contrast to that wicked person that's, that's wicked to the soul for the believer, our joy is doing justice, if you will, for the just doing that, which is right before God. That's what brings us joy. And when you drift away from that, you kind of, you kind of lose that a little bit. And one of the things I would encourage you to think about is, well, what, what has God designed you or gifted you to do? How is the Holy Spirit trying to use you? Because maybe you're like, man, this Christian thing, it's just kind of, you know, it's mundane. It's, it's, it's dry. I mean, I like going to church on Sundays, but I ain't really feeling nothing. Well, maybe you haven't figured out or opened yourself up to, I should say, made yourself available to find out what God is trying to do with you. And when you, when you do that, then, then, then that joy kicks in. Um, but destruction, he says, will come to the workers of iniquity. And so we, we're loving this as we go through Proverbs. Now let's back back up to verse 11 because I skipped ahead. Y'all okay? Yes. All right, verse 11 says, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Now we've seen this concept in the book of Proverbs several times already. So there's something that's growing, something that's brewing. I don't need to belabor it because we've seen it before. But the reality is when you punish or discipline the scoffer, the simple is made wise. Now, the scoffer, remember um, there was a verse that said, um, oh, I better go back and find it. Maybe it was chapter 19, verse 25. Look back with me. Let's see if that's it. Strike the scoffer and the simple will be weary. Rebuke the one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. That's a good one. Oh, no. Chapter 20, verse 30. Check that out. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil. I like that. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you get beat, you get a whipping, a real good one, and you cry. And after that cry, things are a little clearer. Things make sense. 
Because to some kids, until, until, you, until you tear them up, they, they, nothing makes sense to them, okay? So they get a good whip and it's like, oh, now the world makes sense. <laughs> some of your kids are missing it because the world don't make sense to them. You know, you need to get a good whipping in there. So here, when the scoffer is punished, the simple are made wise. One implication here is that the simple who are watching the punishment of the, of the, of the, of the scoffer now have some reference point to the consequences that come in this life when you're, when you're a scoffer. You know, it's kind of like, you know, some people learn by seeing what other people go through. Uh, and then they realize, I don't want to go through that. Okay. But other people can't learn it until they go through it themselves, unfortunately, you know, because they're thick-headed. In contrast, look at verse 11. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. In other words, somebody who's got some wisdom, all you got to do is instruct them, and they gain knowledge. You don't, they don't have to be punished or disciplined. They actually have a teachable spirit, a teachable heart. Remember, we talked about that way back in some previous chapters. One thing as a pastor or a, a leader in the Christian church, as you're discipling people, the one thing you look for is someone who already has wisdom, meaning they're already teachable, meaning that they're willing to listen and learn, and they're eager to do it. And they take what they're learning and they apply it to their lives and they get, they grow even faster and become better for it. You're listening, looking for somebody who's teachable um, because, because that's what we need. And so what kind of person are you? As a parent, you should know what type of children you have. You should have observed them long enough now to know is, well, this one's a scoffer and they need a, they need a whipping and they, and they need to be disciplined. This one over here, I just need to continue to teach them and instruct them because they're going to try to do what they're hearing me tell them to do. So as parents, we understand that. But the question is, what kind of person are you? Because remember, we keep reading about the fool who doesn't want to learn anything, you know? And so there's a lot of wisdom to be gained just in this congregation because there's somebody here who's done everything. You know, we got engineers, we got auto mechanics, we got, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, plumbers. I mean, whatever the case is, it's just wisdom. People who've done stuff, been through life, and there's wisdom. And as you're in fellowship, you gain wisdom as the Lord uh, knows how to, through fellowship, we pour into one another. We learn things. All right, let's continue. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. Simple verse. We don't need to belabor it. In other words, God has his eyes on everything. And the day is, the, the wicked, their day is coming. Psalm 37 says it this way, verses 1 and 2. It says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Keep the verse up there. He says, don't fret and don't be envious. It, the scripture is alluding to the fact that when we look at the wicked and we see that they're wicked, but they seem to be doing good at the same time. It's like, you know, and you can get weary. You can fret over that stuff. You can be envious. Like, Lord, you know, they, they ain't got no issues. You know, they seem to be doing okay. You know, well, for one, they ain't God's kids. Okay. They Satan's kids. As, as the New Testament says, they are the, the sons of disobedient that are led by the prince of the power of the air. But I'm a child of God. Therefore, sometimes I'm going to go through something because he's trying to teach me something. And he's trying to make sure I'm learning. Okay. But what we got to do, here's the reality. The reality is, and don't forget this because you can get off track. The day for the wicked is coming when God will judge them. 
So we don't need to be worrying about them. We're looking at them being envious, fretting, like, Lord, why they seem to be getting over? Why they seem to be doing everybody wrong and they still doing well? You know, why is it like that? Hey, they, their day is coming. God's going to deal with them in due time. We just need to stay the course with our Heavenly Father because his plan for us is good. Amen? Verse 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. It, it, these verses are flowing together. God even sees that. You remember way back, well, not that far back in Proverbs where it actually said that he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Y'all remember that verse? And I like the phrasing, lends to the Lord. Well, you, you know, you, the Lord ain't going to be in debt to you. So it's implying that God is going to see and he will repay. He'll take care. In other words, God desires in society for someone to have a heart for the poor. Now, I want to shed light on something that when you look at, if you go home and look at CNN, for instance, you're getting a warped view of reality. All of the news agencies, by the way, I'm not trying to pick on one. All of them give you a warped view of reality. So the reality is the government don't take care of the poor. The government makes the poor worse off. Because the government, they'll just pacify by giving a handout or something, but they don't teach anything, okay? Because they don't help anybody get a leg up, you know, is what I'm saying. But the Christian church for 2,000 years, it's the Christian church, which none of the news agencies will talk about, but the Christian church built orphanages, built schools, built hospitals, uh, ministered to people. In fact, here, even in Clayton, it's the Christian church that ministers to the poor in Clayton. From with love from Jesus to Clayton area ministries to uh, other in Johnston County, other ministries that they collect stuff and make it available to those who need stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, that comes from the heart of people, people of God. And that, that's why, again, that's why, um, you know, it's hard for sometimes for us to see the reality, but the hands and the feet of Jesus are active. And so we don't need to be so critical about the church. If you open your eyes and you see what's going on and then you see a need and an issue, don't go blaming the church. Say, Lord, why are you pressing this upon me? Is there something you need me to do? Is there a ministry that you're trying to create with my hands? Because that might be what he's trying to do too. Okay, verse, um, verse 14. Verse 14 is interesting. Scholar's not really sure what to do with it. A gift in secret pacifies anger. And a bribe behind the back, strong wrath. It's implying that with a gift, you can prevent anger and wrath from coming your way. So before we judge the verse or try to interpret the verse, what we got to just admit is it's true. And you give somebody a gift, they might have been able to get, you know, they were going to do something to you, but now, now they don't necessarily want to do that anymore because you've done something nice. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just on the surface, it's just true, okay? Um, we view it, I believe, through modern eyes. And when we think of gifts behind the back or in secret, which is what it is, um, or a bribe, you could just say bribe for both. We don't like it because we're used to modern day politicians and it's unfortunate, but, you know, how, how does a politician become rich? They don't get rich off the money that the government's paying them, their check, for instance. I mean, even the president of the United States, their annual salary, there are people in this church that make a bigger annual salary than the president of the United States. I'm just saying, okay? So it's not their salary that gets them rich. Um, so therefore, 
they getting, they getting bribes, basically, okay, somewhere, somehow. Or they're rich on the front end, so they go into politics so they can control things. Because, you know, the rich person can afford to run a campaign and pay money for marketing and all that kind of stuff and pay people off under the table in secret and, you know, create shell corporations to funnel money to lobbyists so they can get what they want done and all this kind of stuff. And so we, we know this stuff. And so we view the verse through those eyes that everything is run by corrupt people who take bribes or give bribes. Okay. So that's how we look at it. And so when we look at the verse, it kind of, it kind of takes the, uh, any good from it, but here it is in scripture, and if you notice, it's not as if the Holy Spirit is actually condemning it. So I think then to back up, is there wisdom I can take from it? Well, maybe so. Maybe, maybe somebody's upset, and maybe I need to calm the whole situation down with a nice little gesture. Then we can talk about it. You know, if there's something there that you can use, you figure it out. Um, the Holy Spirit will bring this verse to your mind at the appropriate time. Okay, everybody with me? That's one thing I have found with the book of Proverbs. The Holy Spirit tends to bring it to me when I need it. And, and so we'll move on. Verse, where are we at? Verse, uh, we covered verse 15. Let's go to 16. 16 says, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. It speaks of a man who seemed to have been on the right track, but he didn't stay the course. He's fallen away. Um, in Christian world, we see people like this from time to time. You know, we can, we can think about, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were referencing, you know, Ravi Zacharias, for instance, you know, and we see, we see people who, who at some point seem to be spiritual giants, but then they wonder, they wonder from the way of understanding. And it kind of saddens us. It disheartens us a little bit. Of course, I always say, keep your eyes on Christ, not on man, because man is always going to let you down anyway. So we never, we, we, we have a problem in humanity of putting man on a pedestal. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. And, and here's why. The man who wrote this verse, or I should say, the man whom the Holy Spirit used to write this verse is Solomon. And Solomon himself fell away. Let me take you, you I don't want you to turn there because we, won't, we don't have time. If you can trust me, make a note and go read it later. Um, 1 Kings 11. I'll read some of these verses to you. It says, but King Solomon... He loved many foreign women. One version says many strange women. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Sodomites, Hittites, all the ites. He just, if they had a pretty lady, <laughs> Solomon liked it. And it says, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them. Pause for a moment, set this, just make sure that we understand God was not against interracial marriages. You know, the reality is there's only one human race. And according to the Christian geneticists, when we intermarry, interracially marry one another, we actually help the gene pool out. Because when you isolate certain genes in one place, uh, what, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from the rest of our gene pool because there's only one human race. Does that make any sense at all? Okay. <laughs> so we actually help the whole human race out by intermarrying. So those of you who are in interracial marriages, y'all are helping us out here somehow. I don't know. Um, okay. That's not what he's talking about. What, he, what he's saying, I don't want you intermarrying with, with or being unequally yoked with unbelievers because then something's going to happen. And he goes on to say to Solomon, let me find my place here. 
um, you should not intermarry with them, nor they with you. He says, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. So what God is saying is, hey, here's the thing. You married the unbeliever thinking you're going to lead them to Christ. But God is saying they're going to lead you away from Christ. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to say, Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father, uh, uh, his father David. For Solomon went after Astaroth. Astaroth is one of the uh, false gods that they worshiped during that time. And you can go on and read this in your own time, Astaroth as an example. Um, Paul teaches us that those who worship idols worship demons, unaware. Because behind every idol is a demonic entity that's promoting his wickedness through the idol. And these same idols, these same demons are doing the same thing today. And here, even in America, as we look at the sexual immorality that's prevailing again through whatever you can imagine that's going on, whether it be pornography or LGBTQ movement, trends, all that kind of stuff is demonic, to be very honest. And so Solomon wrote this verse as I bring us back here because we got to end. And um, he wandered away. And so, you know, when the Bible warns about something, hey, don't be unequally yoked. Hey, don't marry somebody who doesn't believe, you know, in the Lord. If you're a believer, don't do that. And, and, but then, like Solomon, you see somebody, ladies that's handsome or guys that's, that's attractive uh, or pretty or whatever, and, and you let, it, remember what it says, guard your heart with all diligence. Yeah, just believe what the Word says and, and, and let that person go. <laughs> it's better for you. All right, so... Let's, let's wrap this up. Um, verse 17, y'all doing okay? Yes, sir. Verse 17, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. And he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Wine and oil is, uh, it, it, it speaks of luxury items. Pleasure speaks of, you can check, you can, name, you can make your own list. In other words, a person who loves those things and goes after those things is going to be poor. Because he has no discipline, no temperance about his life or her life. And so they spend all their time chasing those things. And because of that, they, they literally spend all their money as well. They, they find themselves in sin and they don't have the ability to, to make wise decisions because their love, their God becomes pleasure. Their God becomes luxury items, materialism. And it just leads them further and further down a, a bad hole because the reality is the Bible gives us lots of wisdom about how to be diligent, how to um, save, store up like the ant back in chapter six, stay out of debt back in chapter six over and over and over. Like financial wisdom comes from scripture. Um, and so again, guard your heart with all diligence. Learn not to, not to be so in love with anything that, that you can't delay that gratification to apply the wisdom of the word um, and then I like to say, work hard, worship the Lord with your finances, let him teach you what to do with them, and then reward yourself with something that you might want 
when, once you've achieved some things. You know, you just be wise about it. You know, it's okay. It's, it's okay to have stuff and enjoy life, right? God doesn't necessarily want us to not enjoy the things that he's given us the ability to be able to build wealth to enjoy. But the wisdom is, no, do it the way he teaches us how to do it so that we can be wise. Amen. And, then, and you can enjoy it then because remember what it said many chapters ago, the blessings of the Lord provide increase without sorrow. You know, if, you, if what you're going to get is going to bring sorrow and usually debt is sorrow, <laughs> then it's probably not good. It's not necessarily what the Lord would have. All right. Um, almost done, y'all. Give me a few more verses. That was verse 17. Verse 18, almost done. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. Really quick, simple verse, simple poetic way of saying that the wicked will find their judgment in the end. The righteous will be exalted and rewarded and glorified with the Lord Jesus. We already know that. End on verse 19. Verse 19, this is the third time Solomon has said this. I think it might be the last. I'm, I'm not sure. But when the Bible repeats stuff, it's because we're thick-headed and the Holy Spirit is trying to help us understand something. Now, whatever that is, but I can't skip it because I'm a pastor. I'm called to feed the flock the word of God. You don't get angry with the messenger. All right, here we go. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Contentious, when we translated last time, even meant a brawling woman. Um, so again, we have this issue. Solomon's problem was he had so many of them, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't please any one of them. I mean, you know, no man can please two women, um, the way that they are designed to be pleased, um, or blessed, I should say. Um, so let alone just trying to figure out one, which is what God intended. So here's the reality. No man marries, um, I mean, when did we see this for? Verse 9, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So no man marries a contentious and angry woman. There's no man in this room that's stupid enough to do that. If she's angry and contentious when you meet her, you don't, you don't stick around. Right, guys, for the most part? Okay. All right. Which means she became angry and contentious under your leadership. So I hate to keep doing this, but... This is the way it is. When we think about it, Adam was made, created first. At, on day six, Adam was created. So how does the Bible say that God created mankind on day six? Well, it's because Eve was in Adam. Because the way God created Eve was not by taking dirt and shaping her and breathing into her like he did Adam. He put Adam to sleep and took the rib out, right? Okay, so then on day six, when Adam was created, everything for Eve was there in that way. And in other words, what God, so the, the point is on day six, there was no Eve yet though. But Adam was created, put in the garden, relationship with God to learn how to do some things, to tend, to keep. Remember we talked about that, to learn how to tend, to, to minister to, to serve, to, to take care of some things, and then to keep, which is meaning to guard and protect. We've talked about this before. Because Adam was to be a developer, a nurturer. In other words, a godly man is supposed to be a productive, fruitful man. In other words, anything that comes into the hands of a godly man is to be increased and developed into something even better. Um, just like Psalm 1, you know, where it talks about he who meditates on the word day and night should be like a tree planted by rivers of living waters who, who shall yield fruit in the season. And whatever he puts his hands to shall what? 
prosper. A lot of times for men, we think about that in the standpoint of working and building businesses and building wealth and climbing the ladder. But the reality is everything given to us is supposed to be developed and made better. We're stewards over everything that God gives to us. So therefore, when a man receives a woman, if he is so blessed to be able to receive a woman, she should grow and flourish under her leadership. The gifts that God has given her should be unleashed upon the, upon the world in a sense, if you will, at least to be able to bless that household. Um, and, and there should be a, a blessing happening. And, and don't get it wrong. Women can be part of the problem because was, now, you know, we talked about that last time. But what I'm simply saying is everything begins with the head. And that man has to follow God in the, in the type of leadership he's supposed to provide for his household so that that woman can be blessed. Um, and then as we talked about last time, uh, ladies, if you're in the way of that, then I pray that the Lord would convict you too. Because, maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you cannot want to surrender yourself to the plan of God. And you can be in the way, butting heads with him and making it difficult and so now from a Christian standpoint, you have two people who are spirit filled who are supposed to be surrendered to a process that God has created. And so ladies don't need to be in the way of it. You need to be enhancing the situation because that's what y'all are developed to do. When y'all show up, things get better. Amen, guys. Y'all enhance things. The gifts that God has put within y'all makes things better. You know, the world is better with y'all in it. If y'all weren't here, we would all we would do is play football. <laughs> we, we wouldn't. We wouldn't put nothing nice on. We wouldn't shave. <laughs> yeah, all we do is play football. Just y'all being here makes us want to do things differently. You know? um, so there's two sides to the thing is what I'm saying. And both now the man and the wife have to be surrendered to God um, so that God can, can build you up and lead you into your role as husband and wife. I'll leave it at that for now. Save the rest for marriage ministry. Um, all I'm saying is she didn't start out contentious and angry. She developed into that through poor leadership and maybe even rebellion on her own part. Because the, the, the reality is the Bible says when a man receives a wife, he receives a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And the Lord loves marriage because it's his, it's his holy institution, which he loves. All of that says he wants to see it flourish. That's what he desires. So if there's a problem, then, then, then we get to figure out, well, where is the problem? We always start with the head because he's responsible. God didn't ask when he came to the garden, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? I need to see the one whom I put in charge. And Eve is going to be blessed because you should be making sure that that's the case, Adam. And so anyway, there's a lot to look at in that, which we can do at another time. Um, but anyway, we finished. We got through. Time is up. Children's ministry needs to be rescued. Um, so y'all bow your heads. Let's end. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your mercy, Lord. I pray that you would take from these verses that you've given something for all of us, Lord. And at any given time in our life, all of them are for us. So I pray that you would, Lord, uh, store it up in our hearts and our minds, that it would take root there and that it would mold and shape our lives, that it would reflect you. Lord, I pray for every individual, every, every couple, every family, every single person in this room, Lord. I pray that you would 
go before us, that you would protect us in our cars, in our homes, in our jobs, marketplaces, wherever it is that we go, Lord God, that you would keep us until we meet again, uh, that you would keep your hand upon us, that you would continue to let your word, Lord God, speak to us until we come together again as a congregation, Lord. We love you. We thank you uh, for meeting us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.